0: Good post-afternoon, pre-evening, whatever that time of day. It's hard to, to gauge this. post brunch or Sundays here in New York. How's everybody doing today?
1: Good. Woo! Not bad, not bad. I wasn't sure what I was going to get, but that's all right.
0: What well, we're going to look at, um, last week, you know, we're, we're just taking this little rest, a little rest from, from our series that James was talking about, that war within. And, and last week, man, just such a powerful message, such a clear presentation of the gospel, And that we heard and that that just moved so many of us. And and as James said, for some, they made this transition. God did something incredible in their life where before they came into this service, they did not know God as their Savior. And they left with the assurance that they are now going to heaven and that God loves them and that God has a plan and purpose for them. It's incredible. That's the kind of God we serve, the kind of God that is still transforming, changing lives. The kind of God that will, that will take some of the worst and, and most horrific circumstances and bring something beautiful out of it. That, that beauty for ashes. That whole verse that, that when you talk about beauty for ashes, it, it's a great little play on words in the Old Testament. Because there is, there is just one letter difference between the Hebrew word for beauty and the Hebrew word for ashes. And what God is saying, which well, just as easy as switching a letter and a word, I can take something that is ashes, something that represents mourning and sorrow and sadness and turn that into beauty. So for some of you guys, you experienced that last week. For, for others, it was just this great reminder of the freedom that we have. The freedom that we have in Jesus Christ and that we don't have to live under the weight of our sin. Not that we, we didn't know we were forgiven, but we still felt like we had that weight of the sin that we're wrestling with in our lives. So, you know, we we just celebrate what God is doing. And and now we got to ask the so what question. What is next? If we have this freedom, what are we supposed to do with that? Let let me, I'm going to do something that's often dangerous and probably should never do this, try to get a little participation from the congregation here. So I'm going to ask some questions. We're going to do a little brief survey. Um, and I need you guys to participate. Just trust us, all right? Uh, be honest with us. And, but I want us to look around the room, and I want us to just get a picture of what God is doing in our lives here to stuff, okay? So I want you to raise your hand if you grew up in a Christian home. You had a mom, you had a dad, or you had a grandmother that dragged you to church every week, and they made sure you get there. Go ahead and raise your hand. Now, everybody look around, okay? All right. Go ahead and put them down. Now raise your hand if you had no connection with the church. You maybe went at most on Christmas and Easter, but there was no talk of the gospel, no talk of Jesus, nothing in your home. Go ahead and raise your hand if you can. All right. How many of you would say that you're an artist, that you're a creative type, that you operate more on the right side of your brain? Go ahead and raise your hand. I'm not raising my hand on this one. All right. Okay, look around there. Bring them back up. All right, everybody look around. All right, put them back down. Now, if you operate on the left side of your brain, you're more analytical, you're more process-oriented, you're a thinker, go ahead. Not that artists aren't thinkers, but you know what I mean. Not all the time. All right. Let's get risky. You ready? If you are a Republican, raise your hand. A couple little minute there. If you're a Democrat, raise your hand. If you think they're all crooks, raise your hand. (laughs) I learned something about Janelle this weekend. She loves politics. I can't tell what she is, but she loves politics. But Take a look around. We have Republicans in here. We have Democrats. We have people that don't want to have anything to do with it. If you were born outside the country, raise your hand. Very cool. Very cool. If your history includes, and if your kids are here, you don't have to raise your hand. If your history includes drugs or alcohol, raise your hand. Here's why I love doing something like this. Because God still saves, doesn't it? It's not a particular type of person. It's not a particular background. He saves the person that has been addicted to to marijuana, to cocaine. But you don't have to be a cokehead to to experience the the love and grace of God. He saves the person, and I pray this is my daughter's testimonies, that have never experienced some of those tragedies in life and and the wayward son. You know, that they were able to, to stay faithful. But he saves people like that. He saves Republicans. Republicans, he saves Democrats. You maybe didn't know that. You learned something new in church today. But he saves Democrats. He saves the people that that don't care. God loves people. And he started a mission long before we established this church, the Bridge Church. And we are here to be a part of God's mission. We are here to do the things that that he has asked us to do, to continue the work that he has started. I'm always so intrigued. It's so great to see God is saving God saves and he frees us. The prophet Isaiah in one says, Surely the arms of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. So what that verse is saying, I heard one pastor say it. I love it. He said, God is not a, a T-Rex, you know, with short <laughs> arms. He can't reach out there and get... It doesn't matter how far you are from God. No matter how far you think your sin separates you from God. His arms are not too short to save you and bring you across that... That, that depth of your depravity or that depth of your sin or, or your weaknesses his ear is not too dull to hear we used to do this to my grandmother lord forgive me she's in heaven um, she had a hearing aid so I would, I would just kind of start she's like hey let me turn on my hearing aid and she would turn up I said, like, hey granny did you hear and then her ears would start ringing and stuff like that and she could never get it quite right it's terrible I used to give her such a hard time but God's ears are not so... He doesn't need a hearing aid. It doesn't matter how, how far away you are from God and you're crying out for, for His mercy and you're crying out to, for Him to reveal yourself. He can hear you. It doesn't matter how far you are. He can hear you and hear you cry out to Him. And, and that's what we talked about last week. God saves. God forgives and God frees us from the captivity of sin. And that's great news. And it's the kind of news that we've got to share. It's the kind of news that we have to take to other people. No, no matter a person's background, no matter where they're from, what country they're from, what they've done in the past, God will pursue them and God's love will, will penetrate their soul in such a way that it becomes irresistible. And, and, they, and they come to know Christ. And for some of you guys, you've experienced that here recently. This is what God does. He saves sinners and he sets them free. He saves people who grew up in the church, and he saves druggies. He saves intellects. He saves artists. God's mission is to bring people into relationship with himself, and God's mission is our mission. God is drawing you close so that you can draw others close to you and then to cross, to to God. God is drawing you close so you can draw close to others. We're going to look at God's mission and how everyone who has experienced that freedom that comes from the gospel um, is not just invited to be a part of God's mission, but we're really commanded. We're we're told we should be a part of God's mission. Uh, one, One person said, you're either a missionary or you're in the mission field. There's no in between. You're either on God's mission or you're somebody who needs God's mission. God is forming a family, and that's what his mission is about. He's forming a family. That's why we love talking about the bridge being a family. Because this is part of what God is doing. He's forming this family of people from all different experiences, all different backgrounds, to worship him, to to give him honor, to, to come. He's bringing Democrats, Republicans, Type A, Type C, D, whatever types of personality, a family that will worship and love him and adore him. This is not only just the story of the scriptures, but it's the story of history that we can watch being played out. Now, now the problem is so many of us are living our own little mission. But we're living our own little story. And, and it's, it's not the eternal story that God has for us. It, it's like LeBron James you know, driving an MTA bus. Not, not that there's anything wrong with driving a bus, it's a great job and stuff, but it does seem a little like a waste of talent to have LeBron James out there driving the bus. What if we stop seeing the bridge as this institution with a, with a bunch of different individual stories, but as a family of sinners saved by grace for God's redemptive plan in Brooklyn? That we are a family saved by grace for God's redemptive plan in Brooklyn and beyond. So what is that plan? So what's God's plan? We're, we're going to take a look at four words that, that we're going to use today that we're going to go through real quick, and then we're going to look at Matthew 28. But creation, fall, reconciliation, and restoration— This is the story of the Bible, and we're going to do like a 10-15 minute cover-to-cover of the Bible. So, you're going to hear what God is talking about. Let me warn you, I mean, James has probably done this as well. I've done a whole series on just these four words, taking each word and breaking them down. So, we're going to move quick. But from the very beginning, God created God had this creative, he's this artistic mind. He's also, he uses the right and left side of his brain, and he can, he can create, and yet he can put such planning and thought for it. And it begins in Genesis 1. In the very beginning, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word created is called Barak in, in the Hebrew language. It's used over 50 times, but it's only used in reference to God. It's never used in reference to man. It's this idea that, of making something out of nothing. Now, When I make something, I go to Home Depot or I go to you know, the grocery store and I take all of these ingredients and I combine them or I take lumber and wood and nails and I'll put something together and, and I make something out of, out of something. I just repurpose those those things. But God is the only one who can take nothing and make something out of it. So God creates different than we do. God creates different than we do. And, and from the word of his mouth, all things were created. Just by speaking it. The power and the majesty of a God who can speak something into being. And he looks at everything and he says, this is good. This is great. This is good. And then he looks at his prize creation and says, this is really good. This is really good. And we see a glimpse of God's greatness and his, his glory just in the creation. Just in what he's made. But Think about the heavens. So we live in a galaxy called the Milky Way Galaxy. It's about 100,000 light years from one end to the other end, and from this end to this end. That means if you go the speed of light, which is around the Earth one time in seven and a half seconds, or excuse me, seven and a half times in one second, it would take you 100,000 years to go from one end to the other, okay? So that's how big the galaxy is that we live in. There's approximately 200 billion stars in our galaxy, just in this one galaxy. Now there's a big difference between a million and a billion. A million is 11 seconds, a billion is 32 years, okay? So big difference, there's 200 billion stars in our galaxy. Milky Way is just kind of an average sized galaxy. There's some that are larger, some that are smaller. So astronomers conservatively estimate that there's 100 billion galaxies with a low end of 100 billion stars in each of those galaxies. Here's what all of that means. If you were to add up all of the stars and all of the galaxies, you would have more stars in the sky than you would have grains of sand on, on uh, the beaches around the world. In fact, you'll have five times more. Five times more stars in the sky than grains of sand all around the beaches in the world. And then God says in Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Isaiah 40, 26 says, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings the starry host one by one and calls each of them by name because of his great power, his mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. He names the stars in the sky. Imagine going to the beaches and naming every grain of sand. The human body is created in the very image of God. The human body has 100 trillion cells that you have to get in nine months. The difference between one million and a billion, so 11 days is a million seconds, 32 years is a billion seconds, 32,000 years is a trillion seconds. When you have 100 trillion cells in your body, If you were to line them up all side by side, they would circle the earth 200 times. All the DNA in your body, if you were to stretch them out and connect them, would go to the moon and back, which is 93, excuse me, the sun and back, which is 93 million miles away, 400 times. The single cell contains enough information to fill 10,000 volumes of books. The information in your brain most of our brains. (laughs) (laughs) People's 20 million books. 20 million books. Psalm 139 says, For you created my innermost, and knit me together, all hundred trillion cells in my mother's womb. I praise you, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. Is glorious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: God is great mm-hmm. and God deserves our worship mm-hmm. and he deserves our praise. Mm-hmm. Everything was created for God's Lord everything was created so that we would look upon it and think how wonderful is he how incredible is he So you have this beautiful order and this great creation and all things are good and all things point to God and they're a reminder of how big and how awesome and how grand God is. Two of my favorite things, food. That's a reminder that God is awesome. That when you taste the different flavors and the taste, it reminds you of people from around the world, and it's like a, you know, it's like a circus in your mouth, just explosions of flavors, and uh, it's just a reminder that God provides and that He is good and He is good. The second thing is relationships. I mean, when you're in the presence of people that you just care for and love and, and that make you feel valued. You know, worth, and, and you like to serve them and do well for them, and it's just a reminder that God is good. Now, you put those two things together, friends and a meal, oh man, that's a good night, isn't it? And it brings worship to God. It helps us think of God and say, man, you're incredible, and you created this thing. But something happened, because we don't always sit down with friends and think this is an incredible meal. We don't always think of the food and think of it as this, this great and wonderful gift from God. We don't look at the skies and stars and think, wow, how majestic and wonderful we He? Mm-hmm. So something happened, and what happened is in the garden. Adam and Eve, they sinned and fell, and everything that was intended for good kind of collapsed on itself and, and became broken. So things that God wanted us to look at and, and to taste and to feel and to touch and relationships to experience, to, to say thank you for this, all of a sudden now, those become the gods. We seek after those. So food for me no longer is about, God, how awesome and wonderful you are, but it's about, I'm stressed, let's get some chicken wings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about comforting me. It's about dealing with my, 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 my life right now. So you have obesity, or on the other side of it, it's I'm going to control this food, and, and it's anorexia. Mm-hmm. I, I got a blender the other day, and I got this like incredible blender. I mean, it just, like, speeds uh, like 250 miles per hour or something like that. It's for smoothies and juices. You know, I'm like, alright, I'm going to juice it up a little bit. I'm going to grab some smoothies, get in shape a little bit better. I can't really quite button this as well as I need to be doing that. Day two I discovered it makes incredible Oreo milkshakes. So, what I bought it for and the intent is all of a sudden, been fraction. It does make incredible milkshakes. Um, So, that's that's what's happened. So this food no longer, relationships no longer instead of being about joy and, and comfort and, and, and this security and worship. It's all of a sudden about what do I get out of this? It's about insecurity. It's about manipulating. And that's all because of the fall. So after that, God said, okay, we've got to fix this. He had a plan to fix this. And from then that's reconciliation. And from the moment uh, that sin initiated into the world God put, God put into a, pl- a plan in place to fix everything that was broken. And so in Genesis 12, he goes to Abraham and he says, listen, I'm going to use you. There is nothing special about you. In fact, you're very unspecial, and that's why I'm going to use you to show what I can do. And through you, you through your descendants, you're going to be a blessing to all nations. And so God comes to Abraham he says, we're going to make this right I'm going to make this right. I'm just going to use you for it. And Genesis 12, uh, 1 through 3, you, you see that. Let me just read up here. It says, The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. The entire rest of the Old Testament is God putting this plan into place. Mm -hmm. We see God just working through it. Much of the Old Testament prophecies, you just hear all of these different pointings towards Christ. They're they're prophesying about this one to come that that will remove the sin of the world, that will be the comforter, that will be the healer, that will take all these things that were broken. The Bible calls that in the Old Testament shalom, which is peace between man and God and man and each other and even man with nature that all of that shalom was was destroyed and that God would restore the shalom through this Messiah. You have this temporary kind of sacrificial system. Why, you know, we hear, why did did they sacrifice lambs and why did they sacrifice birds and doves and stuff? It was because God was creating this temporary system to point towards their need for a Savior Mm -hmm. so that they would see that they need him. And And it's God just putting this plan of reconciliation in place. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. And then there was silence. There was 400 years of silence, and then on to the scene comes Jesus Christ. And so between the Old Testament and New Testament, you have, excuse me, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you have Jesus Christ coming on, fulfilling God's ultimate plan of reconciliation. See, what the fall demanded was the wrath and justice. See, God would not be a good God if he didn't punish sin, right? How many of you guys are from Texas, they love justice in Texas? Don't they? Lots of death penalty in case. How many judges would, live, would, would keep their jobs very long in New York, in Texas, in Ohio, anywhere, if they just let people go? Man, that's, I know, you're bad, why don't you go ahead and murder? No. Because, because sin requires Justice. And the problem with sin is not what you did. It's who you did it against. It's your sin. Uh, It's the fact that maybe you just lied. And if you lied to your dog, that's not a big deal. Nobody cares. If you lied to your wife or your husband, it's a little bit bigger of a deal. You're going to be sleeping on the couch. (laughs) If you lied to a judge about things that compromise national security, you could be put to death. So when you lie to a holy, infinite God, what's the only natural, what's the only you know, justifiable punishment? It, it, it is a hell. And it, so it's not what you do it, but it's who you do it again. So so get but the problem with God's wrath and God's judgment, is I don't hear many people say, man, praise God. Praise God for wrath and judgment. Praise God that He's gonna send on the hell. That doesn't evoke worship, but God's about worship. He's about creating a family that will worship Him. So that's why He sent Jesus Christ, because we can worship a God that would substitute our sin and put it upon His Son. That's why Christ came, and and to take and to live a blameless life and to take our lives that are blemished and, and forgive us, and that's what so many of us have experienced in here. And on the cross, he died, forgiving our sins. But in the resurrection, he rose, giving us power and also a mission to join him. But that last word is restoration. Because we know things aren't perfect. We know there's still sin. We know there's still broken relationships. We know we still utilize foods in ways that God didn't intend or want. So this next step is that God, one day, when he sends his son back, all things will be put back to perfect shalom and that there will be peace. That's why in Revelations it talks about there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That there will be this joy, this peace, no sorrow, no sickness, there's no disease. But we'll all live in this perfect shalom that God originally intended, and that's restoration. All right, so we did that, I think, in about 10 or 15 minutes. From Bible, from Genesis 1 to the very end of Revelation, that's God's story. That's what God is doing. And, and so what I want to talk about is that for now, then, what is our role? Because we live between that reconciliation and that restoration. We live right there. We are now part of God's story. We're a part of God's plan. We are a part of what he is doing here, and so what is our role in that? Uh, yesterday, or excuse me, last week, when we were talking about Romans 7, James talked about the story of this town in Texas. Uh, it was in Galveston, Texas, where they celebrate something called Juneteenth, and and it's the, it's the fact that After the the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, it took two and a half years for word to get to this this town in Texas to let all the slaves know that they were free. So here, these men and women were serving on these, being enslaved, being shackled, when all along they should have been, there was this order sign that they should be let go and be free. What changed, though? was that there was a man, a Major Gen- major General Gordon Granger, and he landed in Galveston, Texas, and he shared the news with them. That's us. That's our mission. We're supposed to be Major Generals that are going to share the news that you are free, that you can be set free, that those shackles can be taken away, that God wants to release you from the sin, that we get to be a part of God's mission by carrying... What, what great joy must be to, for him to be able to tell this message of, hey, you guys can go. You don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to live under these. That, that, that you are now free to do what you want. Now we get to tell that you can be freed from the, from the burden and the weight of your own sin. That God has, has this story, this redemptive plan to fix all things, including you, and that you would be part of his mission. 2 Corinthians um, 5 17 through 19 says this. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. I go out and share the message. That God now uses us as that messenger. So here at the Bridge Church, we have these certain convictions that we operate under. The elder teams, we have these convictions that guide us. Uh, the ministry teams and the program teams, we are all driven by these convictions. And one of those convictions is, is this certitude that God has called us to multiply ourselves and other believers and other people and non-believers. That God has called us to multiply ourselves as believers and other people. If you know anything about relay races... Anything about a relay race, you know, it's where you pass the baton, so you may have four legs of a, of a relay race and you gotta pass that baton. After one of the runner runs the leg, he, he gives it to so the next person who, who takes off. What, what you know if, you, if you've looked at relay races is, it's not always the fastest runners that win the race. It's the runners who pass the baton the best. It's those that can pass it. In 2008, I think it was, the U.S. team dropped the baton in the qualifying finals um, on the men's team and the women's team. The coach got fired soon after. Not because they didn't have the fastest runners. They, they should have won. When you take their splits, they should have won. But they didn't know how to pass the baton. Whenever Jesus says something that we, we need to listen he tells us about passing this baton. He tells us that we need... Uh, to pass this along. And, and so it's right here when Jesus says something, we realize, listen, but these are his last words. And I love it because these are the things that he was, this is just his last instructions. He's getting ready to go to heaven and he's, he's telling his guys, there's about a hundred people probably around at this time, and he's telling them um, the, these final words. And, and listen to what he teaches them, listen to what he says. This is what we call the Great Commission. It says the 11 disciples went up to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And then his other disciples were were around, not just the the 11 main guys that spent most of the time with him. And verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now here's what blows my mind. These guys, this was after he was crucified, raised from the dead, and spent some time with them. Yet some people still doubt it. We'll talk more in a minute about that. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you for always, to the very end of the age. simple. Our mission is to make disciples. Our mission is to tell the good news and make disciples. Everything we do at The Bridge is because we believe it will help us fulfill the Great Commission. Every program that we have, every song that we sing, every message that we preach, we believe in some way this is helping us fulfill God's mission in us to make disciples. This is us playing our role in in God's mission and God's story. This is our family, our church family. Being a part of what God has called us to do. Our church's success in fulfilling God's mission for us is not going to be dependent on if we're the biggest church in Brooklyn. It's not going to be dependent on if we have the best children's program or the best music or the best preaching. Our success, the bridge success, will depend on our ability to pass the baton and make disciples. Will we pass that baton and make disciples? So let's talk. Let's look at these verses, and I want talk about five things that God tells us, five hopefully really practical things that will help you as you pass the baton, as you, you know, find that person or those people that you're going to start investing your life in. It's kind of a, a preacher's poem. I have five points, and each point has two words that begin with a P, and that didn't really take long. It just kind of happened to turn out that way, so i so we're going to roll with it. All right? The first point is the power has been granted to us through the position of Christ. The power has been granted to us through the position of Christ. Look at verse 18. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to, to me. as Christ speaking. It's been given to Christ. All authority on heaven and earth. Everything. Not some of it. Not a split of it. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No, they didn't say I'll take a third, you take a third. He didn't say, okay, we'll give the people half and I'll take half. No, he said all authority. All, all authority on heaven and on earth has been, has been given to Christ. So we could just stop there. And no matter what God says next, we know it's going to come, to, come about. You know, it's an all-in bet. It's, it's roll the dice because you know you're going to win. God could say that he's going to put us on unicorns and put, take us to the moon and back. And we could say, yep, that's going to happen. Because all authority, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to God. So we can know that this is a sure thing. It's going to happen because the power and authority has been given to Christ. As a person here in New York, and my my job is to help church planters. And I'm a pastor, I'm an elder, and so... But the thing is, I have no more positional authority than anybody else in this room when it comes to making disciples. Because the position, the power, and the authority is completely in Christ. And He empowers and He equips and He calls all of us to be disciple makers, to pass the baton. The second point we see in these verses is that, is that being on mission is less about a place and more about a posture. Being on mission is not about a place, it's more about a posture. Look at verse 19. It says, Therefore, go. You got to go. But that word go is better translated as you are going. As you are going. People who think the Bible is telling them to drop everything and that a missionary is somebody who just gives everything in their life up and drops and moves to some remote village in, in the Congos and, and they talk with people who never heard of Jesus Christ and they live in a hut and eat bugs. I mean that's our that's our thing about missions that you gotta stop, give everything and go to a place. But Christ said no, it's it's as you're going. It's whatever life stage you are in, whatever God has placed, wherever God has placed you, whatever God has called you to do. Now, there are some people that are called to that, but this is not a verse that's talking about those called out for a specific mission to go overseas or to go someplace else. This is a a command for everyone that, as you are going, as you are doing life, that you are sent out, and that God is giving you a mission as you are going. It's not about a place, but it's about a posture. It's about how you see your life. We have this vision statement that talks about that we're going to transform the city. We want to see God use us, the Bridge Church family, to transform the city. But if we can't transform our neighbor, we're not going to transform our city. We have a big vision, but we execute in a very micro way very small one, if we can't transform our neighbor, we're not going to transform the city, because it's about a posture, it's not about a place, it's about how we see ourselves, it's about how we live our lives, are we just going, as we're going to our workplace, to our schools, as we're getting on the train, as we're getting off the train, as we're you know in our apartments, as we're going to the, the day goes, are we doing it in a way that people see us on mission, are we doing it in a way that people see us on mission? Here's the third thing that I see out of that Great Commission. We are to proclaim the gospel to all people. God's mission is for all people. We're not allowed to discriminate based on class, social economics, nationality, color, ethnicity. Matthew says, Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations, which literally means of all people groups, of all types of people. So when you refuse to be on mission with certain people because of their skin, because of their ethnicity, because your preconceived notions of, of who they are and the privileges they may have had or the privileges they didn't have, you're doing one of two things. One, you're sinning by not seeing that person as a person created in the very image of God. You're saying that you have greater worth or value than you. And they're created in the very image of God, and you're denying that. Two, you're sinning because you are fearful of cultural differences and it shows a lack of of trust in the power and authority of Christ that he told us that he has in verse 18. The way it's a sin. So we don't have the privilege to say, okay, I'm going to focus here. I'm going to focus there. You know, there's strategy in like how we do a time where it's most effective and who we relate with them. I get all of that. But at the end of the day, God is calling us as a church to, to call a family from every time, every nation, every tongue, all peoples, to be a part of his family and to worship and praise him. Mm-hmm. And when we refuse to do that, we're saying... So here in New York City, there are over 800 languages spoken in 200 different countries represented. 800 languages, but less than 6% of the people in New York City would have a relationship with with Christ. Nearly a third of our neighbors are foreign-born or children of foreign-born parents. The the challenges of reaching the diversity and the density that we have are huge. But it's been done. We can look at God's history. We can look at God's story. We can see what he's, he's been doing in his plan. So when Jesus gave this command, the Roman Empire was about 65 million people, three times larger than um, population-wise than, than the metro New York City. It, it spread over three continents. Um, and, and it was just as diverse culturally, it was just as diverse religiously as New York City. Yet within three centuries, 90% of the Roman Empire was Christian. In spite of persecution. In fact, it was probably because of persecution. So within three centuries, it switched from a band of about 100 people that heard this message to 90% of the 65 million people were Christian. That's God at work. That's God fulfilling what he told Abraham that he was going to do. Through your descendants, which Christ is a descendant of Abraham that I'm going to bless a nation. We, we are part of what God has been doing for centuries. We are a part of God's big mission, his big plan. So we, we need to take you know rest in, in confidence in that power and authority. God's mission will not be stopped. We just get a chance to be a part of it. Number four, Jesus has provided us a pathway for making disciples. He's given us a simple plan. He's given us a simple pathway for making disciples. One, the first thing, as we're going, it's about relationships. It's about the relationships that you've already have, and it's about being very intentional about establishing new relationships. You've got to get time with people, and that is one of the hardest things I've learned about living in New York City for the past almost two years now. Is that getting time with people is difficult. The time to get on the train, go across the town, and stuff. But whenever something requires great sacrifice, it also demonstrates great worth. Mm. And so when I'm able to sacrifice something to get time with a person, it shows them worth and value. And I can point that back to Christ. So you've got to get time. It's about relationships. It's about as you're going. The the second thing is to proclaim. We've got to proclaim. We've got to share. Making disciples requires us to talk. You can't just be silent and say, you know, I'm going to let my life just reflect God. We've got to do that, but that's not enough. We've got to be able to share the good works of God and what He's doing in our lives. And, and remember that we're able, that, that we're, we're called to be that, that major general Granger that can go and share the good message of, of, of uh, being set free from captivity and that you don't have to be a slave anymore. So we, we establish the relationships, we proclaim with our mouth and with our actions, but then we baptize. Baptism is this... It's this picture of that you, are, that you are now a part of God's family. That broadly, you're, it's a picture of you're a part of God's big family, but specifically that you're a picture of the Bridge Church family. We're going to have a baptism service, what, in about two or three weeks? And um, I think it's August 4th. So, you know, in that, and what we're saying, what you're saying is thats is that you're making this public confession that, that God has done some work in my life, that God has freed me from captivity, freed me from that slavery, And then what we're saying in turn is, welcome to the family. That you are part of what God is doing. And baptism is the first step of this next part of of God's plan for um, making disciples, and that is teaching them to obey. So we, we develop the relationships, we proclaim with our mouth and with our actions. As people respond, we baptize them, we welcome them into the family. They're now part of who we are and what we're doing, and we teach them to obey But the expectation is that if you are a disciple that is working with somebody, that you're observing and you're obeying the commandments. Which is tough. How many of you guys are going to bat a thousand percent on that one? Uh, We're going to get it right every time. None of us. And the the danger is in thinking that we are. That that we're we're going to get to this point where we're perfect. No, we're going to get better. We're going to become more and more like Christ. But we're never going to quite get there. Not until that restoration happens. When God restores all things and all things are perfect and there's that perfect shalom again, and our relationship with God and with others is is restored the way that he had naturally intended it to be, originally intended it to be. But listen to this. Even in God's, here's here's how you can see how just wonderful God is and how graceful he is and gracious he is. Even in our sin. How many of you guys want to hang out with perfect people? Nobody does. (laughs) Nobody wants to hang out with because it makes you feel, you know, it makes you feel insecure about yourself. It makes you think, I can never compete. I can never be a part of that group because man, they mess up. There are some of you in this room, and you're not even a follower of Christ, but you're intrigued, and he keeps wooing you, and he keeps. And, and, but part of that reason is because you can come here and you can see, man, these aren't perfect people. It's not perfect men in this this church. It's not perfect women, but they love Jesus. So that's a, that's God's grace that even in our failures as making disciples and, and when we're working with people, and we have to go and say, "Man, I, I messed up here." That people would say that to you know what? I want to be more about what you're doing. Only God can turn our failures into something that would bring Him honor and that would bring Him glory and bring more people into the kingdom. Um, number five, number five. Jesus gives us promise of His presence. Jesus gives us a promise of His presence. In verse 20, it says this, In teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So as we're doing disciples, God is with us. Mm-hmm. As we're living life with people, as we're helping people grow in their, in their likeness and being more like Jesus, we can trust and have the, have the confidence and the promise that Jesus is present with us. Sometimes sharing the gospel is hard. It's difficult. It's awkward. It's intimidating. You get scared. You're wondering how people respond. What if they ask me, is that person who's never heard the word Jesus Christ, is he going to hell? What am I going to say? I don't have answers for all of these questions. All of these insecurities, all of these fears come up. But Jesus says, but I'm with you. I'm right there. I'll never leave you to the very end of the age. I am with you. And then we get a trust in that verse in 18. All power, all authority on heaven and in earth, in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. And it's that same power and authority that is present with us through his Spirit. Look at verse 17. Let's go back to that. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. So Jesus had people that doubted after they saw him be crucified, after they saw him get buried in a grave, and then three days later, he's sitting there eating dinner with them. And now he's teaching them, and it says some still doubted. we won't have people that doubt us. We're going to have people that don't believe. But we're still faithful to the mission. We're still faithful to the mission. To what God has asked us to do, and that is to develop people as disciples, so that they can go and change their neighbors and transform their neighbors. Acts 17:26 says this. Um, it says, "From one man he made all the nations, that they should be inhabit- excuse me that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him." and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God has decided where you live and what time you live in so that people might reach out and find him. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It says this right here. It says, he has appointed the times and histories and the boundaries of their land you are in the neighborhood that you like, you know, be all hood, and I'm to get out of this place. You're in that, that you know, cramped apartment that you don't like with three girls that you don't like. Hopefully that's for the other girls in the room. You are here. You are where you are because God has appointed that boundary and that time and that place, that block, that street, that apartment number, so that somebody may be drawn to Him. I lived in, um, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, there. my dad was a nominal Christian, you know, made one of those professions of faith when he was a, a kid. My mom wasn't a believer at all. Uh, my parents got married when my dad was 15 and a half, so, you know, there was just eyes beneath between, and then there were kids having kids and trying to figure out marriage mm-hmm. and stuff, and so, as the, you know, we're living in Cincinnati, my dad, who was, May be a believer. My mom is not a believer. Guess where we lived? Right next door to a church. I mean, we lived in the church parsonage because my dad was a janitor at the church. We lived there so God could start introducing me to His goodness and grace. I remember going to the vacation Bible schools, getting the snow cones, and hearing these stories of the Bible. Didn't make a decision then, but it still sticks with me. What sticks with me is Mrs. Brown. Mrs. Brown was. Lived right on the other side of us, so it was our house, the church and mrs Brown mrs Brown was like an 85 year old saint she would have me over in her house she she would bake me cookies she would you know talk to me she would my my, my dad was at college, my mom was working all the time she would take me out to her garden and I help her garden and all the time I had no idea what she was doing, but she was just sharing with me god 's goodness and god's grace and, and how he sustained her as an eight Nine-year-old kid, as an eight or nine-year-old kid, still never accepted Christ while she was alive. But God had placed me in between two, between Mrs. Brown, whose house was a sanctuary sanctuary, and this church. And when I did accept Christ in college, guess where I went and got baptized? Right back in that church. Because I saw God and his sovereignty started influencing me at an early age from these places and from this woman. This is Brown. And so you are where you are to influence people because God has put you there. That's what this verse says. God, God is not far from your neighbor because you're close by. God is not far from the people you think are so far from him. And the reason is because you are close by. So let's announce this good news that Jesus sets the sinners free, that He wants to intimately be involved in our lives, that, you know, that He let let the baptisms just be a celebration of people coming into the family because we're being missionaries. We're living on mission in our neighborhood, in our community. We have this big vision to transform the city and the world, but we're focusing on how we're going to transform our neighbors. You know, the people that are right next to us. And we're just, after a year and a half, God has opened up our neighbors. We have. Someone who lives on, on one side of us. It's actually three men that run the grocery store downstairs, Little bodega. Uh Mashim, I believe, is one name. Rizwi and Sammy, two Muslims and a Hindu. And so I remember sitting. We have a little outdoor space, and, and during Ramadan, you know, we would hear the ra- the dishes rattle as soon as the sun would go down. Just a reminder that God is me here so that I can have influence and impact on their life. Right above us is. Um, four, four young ladies, all single girls. Two of them just graduated college, uh, graduate school. Museum curators, which is awesome, because museum curators don't party late at um, you night. Know, they just little wine routines and stuff like that. So, yeah. so we have them right upstairs, and then we have an actress who's on Nickelodeon that my daughter recognized and oh, stuff. And, and it wasn't until about a week ago that God has opened up a door for us to invite them down, be in our apartment more often, and, and, uh, and start having dinner with them. Now, one of them, Tana, who is a, she calls herself a terrible must or excuse me, terrible handkerchief. She eats hamburgers. Um, uh, she, she's uh, been coming down now almost every other night to, to play with her dog. Play with her dog. God is using our dog, sensing. For his glory and for his good. Our dog reminds her of her dog back home. And now she's coming down, having dinner with me and another church planter and our families. And this is what she said when she left. She said, anytime you guys have a party or a dinner, you can invite me down. God's placed us there to, to have this relationship and to start working in her life and, and to be able to share the good news of Christ with her. And hopefully he'll give us the opportunity to, to be a part of making her a disciple so that maybe she can share it with her family. That's what discipleship is. It's God's mission for us. It's what he's called us to do. It's passing through the time. It's celebrating God and his work, and it's helping others do the same. So as we start thinking about our neighbors, your neighbors are not far from God because you're close by. God just wants to think of who they are. Must to really not just, you know, say, I got neighbors. But what are their names? Mm-hmm. What do they believe? Who do they worship? They worship something. I get getting in their lives. Let me pray. And as, as we're praying that I, I want you to think about it, here's what I'm going to ask you guys to do. Everybody should have a card on their the chair. Normally our cards we use for uh, first-time, second-time guest, and, and we do want first-second-time guest, I'm going to come up and tell all those instructions here. But if we can, and I'm, I'm giving the hospitality to, Oh, no, we don't put them on the table, seats anymore, do we? Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to get cards, hopefully, to, to you because here's what I really do want us to do. I want us all to write our name. You can just write your first name and write a neighbor down that you're going to pray for. Because this week I want, to, I want to lift and I'm sure others on the team here are going to lift you up with your neighbor and ask God to bless that relationship recognizing that you are placed in those boundaries, on that street, on that corner in that apartment number for the purpose of your neighbor. Maybe a family member maybe somebody that you work with but who is it that God is impressing upon you that you can share His mission His story with and maybe they can be set free. Father, we love you and we thank you. Lord, you have started something to free us from our sin, our slavery, from our weight, Lord, that comes with, with this internal struggle of, of knowing that we are created for something different, yet we, we continue to, to do the things that we know bring disappointment to you. But Lord, we've been set free from that. and. And our mission, what you've asked us to do is to set others free. Lord, to share the good news to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Lord, it's humbling that you would entrust us with that message. But Lord, we know all power and all authority is yours. And that Lord, that you will be present with us from this day for the ever after. And Lord, so you have bestowed some of that power and authority to us. And you've given us the confidence and the wisdom and the words to say So Father, I just pray that we would be serious about your mission for us. That it's not just another message of yes, I need to go share my faith or I need to go invite somebody over for dinner. But that we would take seriously your words that we are to pass the baton. That our success as a church will be based on the fact of are we making disciples? Are we doing the things in you have commanded all of us to do and that is to go out and share the good news with other people and help them to grow more and more like you father i pray somebody may write their own name on them they may realize that they're here today that you've set the boundary for this place on fifth avenue so that they could hear that you are pursuing them that you care and love them so much that you would put them right here today so that they can hear a message. That that you, Lord, that you love them. That you are changing history so that all things can be redeemed and restored and fixed so that they're not jacked up, Lord. So that it's not and struggles but it really is a peace and a worship of you and a harmony between everyone. We look forward to that day but Lord we're not in that day yet so we live in the in-between and Lord so help us in this in-between stage to bring you the praise that you deserve by obeying your command to go and make disciples Lord I'm just reminded of the song that is played reminded that the man who penned this was a man who knew knew travesty he knew loss he lost children to diseases he lost his kids to a a shipwreck that sank in the middle of the Atlantic Lord he lost all of his wealth to the Chicago fires and Lord as he went to go pick up his wife on the other side of the Atlantic after all of their kids had died in a ship sinking, as he passed the very place where he lost his family, he could say, it is well with my soul. Lord, I wonder who told him the great message that no matter what happens, there's a God that loves you. That no matter what happens, you have all power and authority. That no matter what happens in your life, there's a God that will be with you from this day forevermore. Lord, I wonder who that person is that was just obedient to sharing your good news. And now through the words that he's penned, have impacted thousands, if not millions of people as they've given their hearts and lives over to you. Lord, it is well because you're in control.